0: Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into The Mystical Underground.
1: Welcome to The Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor. And Rob McGregor. And our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book, is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Tricia's latest novel is Skin Shifters, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas. Our
2: guest today is Adam Stokes. Professor Stokes has degrees in religion from Duke University and Yale Divinity School. He is the author of uh, Egypt to Ohio, A Semitic Origin for the Giants of North America, and another book, The Latin Scrolls, Selections from the Five Megala, translated, did I pronounce that right? Uh, hold <laughs> yep, you got it. Okay, translated from the Latin Vulgate. Uh, his work has been featured in various magazines and podcasts, including Ancient American Magazine, Earth Ancients, Expanded Perspectives, Forbidden Knowledge News, Broadcast Team Alpha, and She's all over the place. Uh, He currently teaches high school Latin and a college course on the Old Testament. Welcome, Adam. Great to be here. Thank you
3: so much for having me.
2: Yeah. So speaking of the Old Testament, I'd like to begin with a quote from a Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. But the giants were upon the earth in those days, and after that, whenever the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they gave birth of them, these were the giants who were from eternity, the named men. Wow. So, Adam, are the uh, biblical stories about giants myths and legends, or are they historical fact?
3: You know, it's a great question, Rob. Um, A lot of times in biblical scholarship we look at these older stories as uh, mythology, as folklore, but I'm of the opinion that um, in many instances we've been looking at these stories the wrong way, and in fact that they contain race memories of historic events and historic people. I think that when you look at the material in Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, and uh, what you just read in Genesis chapter 6, I think that preserves a memory not only of an ancient flood, since that's the opening to the flood story, mm-hmm. uh, but also of this ancient giant civilization uh, whose origins people really did not know about. And it's interesting because you said you're reading from the Greek translation, which is actually one of my favorite versions of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And the original Hebrew, and he reads... Nephilim, which is translated into, in Greek, gigantes and the same uh, in Latin, uh, gigantes. Um, but the Nephilim literally mean that that term comes from a Hebrew verb, nephal, meaning the fallen ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people take this as, you know, possibly um, an extraterrestrial race that crash landed uh, on Earth. Um, I tend to take it as just referring to an ancient fallen civilization, so a fallen race of giants uh, that uh, went went back uh, before uh, people could remember.
1: So- Adam, how how could giants
3: fall? How could a giant? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, this is what I don't get.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. So I mean, Goliath, Goliath falls. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah. one example, but. <laughs> But I think that um, what the biblical authors in the in the Genesis story, in the story of uh, the flood, uh, they're referring to a civilization of giants that once what once were highly advanced in their technology, uh, in uh, their lifestyle, but through kind of their own errors, through uh, their own propensity for violence, and we see. The propensity for violence connected with the giants, not just in Genesis, but throughout the Old Testament stories, they destroy themselves. They didn't really like fall because you know they're they're tall, like you said, but metaphorically their civilization declined and was eventually destroyed. Yeah,
2: so That's fascinating. Isn't there another interpretation for the word giants as uh, f- uh, it could be fallen uh, angels? Isn't that uh, one? Yes, yes. Way so
3: of- you have this term in the Genesis story, um, Genesis chapter 6, the B'nai Elohim in Hebrew, which means the sons of God. And if you look elsewhere where that is where that phrase is used, you'll find it uh, in several places. One is in the, what we call, what biblical scholars call a fancy term, the Deuteronomic history, uh, which talks about uh, the different kings of Israel. And you'll also find it in the book of Job. Now, in both of those instances, that refers to the the heavenly court so you have the high god who is the god of the old testament and then you have these semi-divine beings um you have these semi-divine beings who hang out around god and so um interpreters throughout the centuries both jewish and christian uh have said that you know these giants could possibly uh be have supernatural origin and we Mm. know that there is some type of crossbreeding between these B'nai Elohim and regular human beings, the Benot uh, Adam, the daughters of humanity, that the high God, that oh, the Old Testament God doesn't approve of. Um, so there's a possibly a supernatural connection there. Now, being a person, a religious person, a person of faith, I don't really have a problem with that. But in any case, uh, what seems to be the result of this supernatural and natural union is this race of giants to create this great civilization.
1: So they didn't have supernatural abilities, but they, but there was a supernatural connection?
3: Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, so um, I think that a possible origin of them could be supernatural, since we know that the term sons of God refers to the semi-divine, demigod type of beings. It's interesting mm-hmm. to know, uh, Trish, um, I'm glad you mentioned that, because it's interesting to note that in... Uh, Greek interpretations of the Bible. I know Rob just read from the Septuagint. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people, such as Josephus, say that these uh, giants of old did have superhuman powers. And he equates them, some of them, with the line of Hercules in Greek mythology. And Uh. and, um, Jewish exegetes do this as well. They'll say these were uh, some of the Greek gods and demigods, Achilles, um, et cetera. So they had powers uh, greater than uh, your average human being, but whether they had divine-like powers, um, that, that's a little questionable. Uh-huh. Right.
2: So your book starts out quite boldly citing another scholar who asserts that our understanding of the history of uh, ancient America is wrong. Uh, can you expand on that statement?
3: Yes. Um, so I was quoting there uh, Scott Walter, who does a lot of stuff with uh, pre-Columbian American civilization. And I started off with that quote because that's kind of what undergirds uh, my whole book. When we think about uh, ancient America, we think many times uh, of a very uh, primitive uh, society, just a bunch of hunter-gatherers collecting berries, and that uh, the Native people of this land, the Native Americans, really didn't have any type of culture or civilization that didn't really exist until Columbus and the Europeans came. And uh, this is the history that we're basically taught uh, in schools. You might hear of Chahokia um, in, uh, in Illinois. Uh, you might hear of, of that place where one of the mounds, but you don't really hear of too much else. Um, so um, my interest in this book was to uh, kind of point out, as Scott Walter does, as Wayne May does, as other people do, that there was indeed an advanced civilization here. Native Americans did have and interact with a highly technically advanced uh, civilization that was just as mighty at its high point as the civilizations of Egypt or Rome or hmm. Greece. This is not something uh, that is taught uh, in schools um, often, and that comes from kind of a long uh, a long history of trying to diminish, in my opinion, uh, deliberately diminish uh the uh the history and the culture of the native inhabitants of uh-huh. america going back to mm-hmm. sonia in the 19th century yes
2: so while we're t- while we're talking about that period uh 19th century in uh, america and this subject uh according to the 1881 history of licking county ohio in 1824 an excavation of a prehistoric fort on the riverbank adjacent to the Homer cemetery revealed a very large human skeleton. What happened to these skeletons that were found in the 19th century? Why weren't they preserved? Why don't we have them now?
3: That is, you know, that's a great question. It's one of the questions I get most often, Rob, when I'm asked as kind of a giant researcher, ancient uh, American researcher, you know, if these giants existed, uh, where are they? Um, There's a great Um, talk about uh, ancient America, uh, one of uh, the great lecture series, and the archaeologist who gives that talk says, you know, if there were giants, uh, where is the evidence? Now, mind you now, um, that question neglects, you know, the Native Americans' own traditions about having, about giants being in their past, encountering these giant beings um, um, in their past, their ancestors encountering, encountering these giant beings. And also in archaeology, there's a lot of things archaeologists assume that they don't have, you know, physical evidence for. So, for example, in biblical archaeology, we assume that, you know, the apostles, uh, Peter, James, John, they all existed, but we don't really have their physical remains. We have traditions that say this is where their body is, but we don't have their their actual physical remains. So I find it ironic that archaeologists will say, you know, because we don't have the physical remains of um, giants here in America, they don't exist, but they assume uh, that other people existed, even though they don't. Yeah. Have but I'm um, going, going back to actually addressing uh, your question, um, which is a really great question. Uh, a couple of things happened here. So uh, we know uh, there's a guy on um, there's a personal Instagram, Instagram, a researcher on Instagram uh, who does uh, his page is called Giants of Ancient America. He has thousands and thousands of newspaper clippings um, oh. supporting these giants uh, in the mid to late uh, 19th century in the mid to late 1800s, and uh, they'll ask their um, their county supervisor uh, what do uh, what do we do with these remains that we're finding and these inscriptions that we're finding with these remains and they say, send them to the Smithsonian. So a lot of these uh, giant remains get sent to the Smithsonian, and then the Smithsonian claims that they never had um, they never had knowledge of them. Again, kind of going with this agenda Jeez. that the Smithsonian had, in the 19th century to kind of diminish any idea that Native Americans had a uh, sophisticated culture uh, pre-Columbus. Um, also, uh, there's a great article, actually, the Knox County, um, there's a Knox County newspaper that has an article um, on uh, the Liking County Giants, um, really good article. And the archaeologist notes there that in a lot of cases with bones, um, Unless they're preserved in something like a bog, as soon as they're exposed to air, those bones start to deteriorate and mm-hmm. uh, disintegrate. So it's very hard uh, to tra- to store bones in a way that they don't uh, deteriorate. What, um, are they, another, what did you say
1: they're preserved in? In, in one? Like a uh,
3: unless they're preserved in oh, a bog. Oh, okay. in very mom. humid. Okay. Um, so these, these bones are preserved for you know thousands of years inside of a mound, inside of a... Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of moist wet area, but as soon as they're exposed to air, uh, uh, they start to they start to deteriorate. Um, no, I
2: think I think in the d- desert area uh, they can also like in South America, they're kind of natural mummies that are preserved uh, yes. in in the sand. In fact, they've uh, they've had cases uh, reported of uh, giants uh, in Ecuador and Peru as well. Uh, in fact, yeah. There's, yeah. there's one article. I read that it's uh, German uh, archaeologists were looking at some skeletons in 2017 that were between seven and eight feet tall. Pretty
3: tall. Yes, yes. There's a guy L.A. Marzulli. Um, He kind of comes to this from kind of a more religious, evangelical Christian approach. Um, But he actually surveyed. I'm glad you mentioned mentioned Peru because he actually surveyed a couple of private museums down in Peru that had remains of gigantic skulls and uh gigantic bones so some museums still do have this stuff even this even though the smithsonian in the 19th century kind of cracked down a lot of this some private museums still have things even in midwest america some private museums still have uh these uh remains of these giants so they're not completely eliminated um another thing i would mention is that also uh deforestation and development where a lot of these ancient mounds were they were raised over to make farms and later shopping centers and malls that destroyed a lot of this material as well yeah
1: you know in peru there's a plateau at about what 19000 feet or something Markawasi, yeah where these where there are these giant stone statues i guess they are well, yeah but they don't know. Yeah, you they know, were, they don't know who built them or if they were natural or – but they're shaped like – Like animals. Like animals. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
3: yeah. It's outside of Lima about 20 miles. But way up. Yeah. Fascinating. Nope. That's, yeah, those, those are fascinating. And the thing I always I always tell people, you know, we, we set that line between uh, North America, Central America, and South America. But, of course, that's an imaginary line. So okay. – in my it's my contention that the same giants who i think that their home center their home base as you know the knox uh, knox county newspaper uh, said was the ohio region but i think they mm-hmm. travel back and forth and even into central and south america so i think in many cases we're dealing with the same race of giants here oh interesting
2: so have they been found near the serpent mine uh, serpent Mountains, uh in ohio
3: yes yes um so the thing I always um, I tell people about mounds I actually had the pleasure of visiting uh, the Serpent Mound and a couple other mounds last October I was at a church conference in Lexington, Kentucky and I drove um, on a highway uh, from uh, West Virginia from New Jersey into Maryland, then West Virginia into Ohio and then into Kentucky and it's interesting, Robin Trish because all of the mounds, with these giants, uh, lie on a particular grid. So um, if you stay on the same highway, you'll hit the Newark Earthworks, you'll hit the Fort Ancient Earthworks. Oh, interesting. Uh, And then even in Lexington, right next to the hotel where I lived, there was an Adena mound uh, that I got to see. So um, they're all kind of connected. And, uh, yes, many of the mounds have uh, remains in them. Now, the Hopewell, they didn't do as much burial as the Adena. Um, so, um, these are different, uh, civilizations that existed pre-Columbus, so some of the mounds won't have skeletal remains, but others will, and we can either, we can identify them as either Hopewell or Adena, uh, based on, uh, how many remains they have in them.
1: Adam, you said, a, kind of on a grid, is that like a ley line grid? Is that what I you're talking about? I think so, you
3: know, I wanted That's to... That's what research. it sounds like. Yeah, as I was driving more, I wanted to research that, but, um... I would not be surprised if it was on a ley line. I would argue um, that it is there is a ley line connection because there's so you basically go down a highway and you can just hit each one. Yeah. Uh, whether it's uh, the Grave Creek Mound or uh, the Newark Mound or the Fort Ancient Mound, they're all uh, in the same the, the same direction.
2: Hmm. Adam, I've got to ask you, as somebody who's interested in giants, <laughs> how tall are you? <laughs>
3: I am actually, you know, it's really funny. I'm only five two. I am super short. Nobody paid me attention as a kid. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I've always been fascinated. Maybe it's my my uh, innate wish to have been taller. <laughs> That's been great. Even before about. I got into ancient American giants uh, with giants and with uh, giant civilizations from from the from the folklore mythology I used to read mythology uh, as a kid, as a teenager, as kind of a, a socially awkward teenager, always kind of got me through through things, um, read a lot of, uh, ancient stuff, Indiana Jones, uh, novels, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, uh, reading, um, about, reading about giants, that uh, was something that always, always fascinated me.
1: That's interesting.
3: Uh, yeah, so uh, you've
1: had a long time interest in this stuff.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. So how does the story of giants in ancient America tie in with the old Testament? Uh, how would the, well, who, how would the two connect?
3: Yes. Well, it's my uh, contention in the book that I wrote that the uh, ancient giants that we have in North America uh, came to uh, to this continent from the ancient Near East. Um, Mm. And so I kind of I tie in a lot of the traditions, including Genesis six that Rob mentioned, where uh, you have human beings mating with these giants and these giants, interestingly enough, talking about the flood story. They don't die out. They're supposed to all die. The flood's supposed to wipe out everybody, but uh, hundreds or thousands of years later when Moses and the ancient Israelites, the ancient Jews, are in the Promised Land, um, they still see these giants, and they still interact with them. Um, So we get several Israelites who are said to be of high stature, which is always a word that's used to refer to a gigantic person, at least three Mm. feet or more. And so my contention is, is that during several crises in the history of ancient Israel, uh, the destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians in 722 BCE, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586 BCE, that these giants migrated to uh, North America. And that accounts not only for the giant remains that we find uh, in these mounds in North America, but also uh, the epigraphical uh, Evidence that we have, um, we have uh, tablets and plates that seem to be written in Semitic languages, um, and mm. that seemed, that to me is proof that these uh, these giant races uh, came from the Near East.
1: How did they get here?
3: These, sh- these ships—if they came by ship—they must have been huge. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, um, it, it's interesting because for many many years people said that a pre-modern uh, a pre-modern uh, sailing to from from uh, Europe basically to the Americas uh, was impossible. We know, however, for a fact, the Vikings did it quite a bit. They set up right. colonies both in Canada and uh, in what's now the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, the Polynesians, for example, they have really small ships and they're able to make uh, cross continental. Uh, journeys as well, mm. just from skills with navigation. Wow. Interestingly, there was a project done a few years back where Trish, there was a huge somebody recreated a huge Phoenician ship, mm. and um, and tried to see that if it could, from the archaeological evidence we have, um, from the descriptions that are given in ancient accounts, so they recreated this Phoenician ship and they tried to see if it could go uh, around Africa. Um, up through South America into North wow. America it took I mean, about four months, but it did it. So, huh. um, mm. and that kind of showed that you know such a trip in the ancient world was possible. And we, in fact, not only uh, Israelites, but we have a lot of Phoenician uh, influence um, in ancient uh, ancient North America.
1: How big was was this ship? Or were these ships?
3: I mean- um, the Phoenician ship, I'm trying to remember the exact dimensions, but I'm saying I'm going to at least say like 50 feet or something.
2: Ah. So How many people could you get on that ship like that?
3: Phoenicians pretty much stacked them in. So you'd have the rowers and you'd have people um, yeah. underneath. And the, the Phoenician ship had multiple decks. So you could fit probably like at least 100 people oh. uh, on, this, on this ship. Now, whether they'd all make it through um, yeah. such a long journey. Uh, probably not, but I think the majority of them would.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. so probably though somebody made it over and then made it back, so to tell the other people that, you know, the world doesn't uh, just end in a (laughs) (laughs) waterfall. Yes,
3: yes, and there seems to be evidence for kind of this uh, um, um, trans-Atlantic crossing back and forth, so not just from the old world to the new, but the new world to the old, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of for example, um, Midwest America has the largest concentration of copper mines. Europe doesn't have that much copper, but um, around the same time these giants are existing, copper seems to be coming into Europe. Where did they get that copper from? Um, and a lot of uh, giant researchers uh, would say that comes uh, from America. So people knew ah. these roots, memorized these roots, and that accounts for uh, this diffusionism that you see um, uh, in, amongst cultures. Ah. Mm.
2: So one thing you don't mention in your book that I was wondering about is the possibility of who these giants are. What about the possibility that they are ne- uh, Neanderthals?
3: Yes, um, that's a that's a very good question. So um, one of my good friends, Dr. Greg Little, Andrew Collins, they've written about the Denisovans and uh, their influence on uh, North America um, and I think this this raises a really good point that there were multiple different types of giants here in America. So uh, the one type of giants that I focus on in my book, I call those Semitic Egypto-Israelite giants uh, because they come from the Near East. But I think that, you know, um, as I think your question points out, there were other migrations of different giants. And this, is, this accounts for why. We, in fact, have in the fossil record, I mean, excuse me, yeah, in the bone record that's described by these people fighting these giants, you have different types of giants. So some giants look like us as human beings. They're just taller. Other types of giants have pronounced teeth or larger foreheads, Mm -hmm. um, elongated skulls. um, Cyclops. (laughs) Yes, yes. um, And I think all of that comes from these different groups of giants coming here to North America um, at different times.
1: That, that uh, what would you say, that angular head? Yes. The elongated head. Yeah.
2: That kind of like yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What uh, What got you interested in ancient American history?
3: Well, my interest really uh, kind of stems from my own uh, religious views. I'm part of a Latter-day Saint tradition, not the uh, Salt Lake City uh, Mormons, even though I have many friends um, who are uh, from that tradition but I'm part of a smaller branch. And um, I got really interested because uh, our sacred scripture, uh, the Book of Mormon, uh, claims uh, makes the claim that a group of Israelites migrated from the Near East to America. And mm-hmm. I wanted to see if there was uh, any uh, validity to that claim. So I started doing my own research, started getting in touch with other ancient American researchers. Mm-hmm. And one thing just led to another, uh, to another, uh, to another. And I started to see that um, really we, we are in desperate need of a revision of how we view pre-Columbian history, especially in North America. I think in mm-hmm. South America- You followed
1: have- your passion. That's good.
3: Yes, yes. <laughs> That's great. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, For talking about South America, I think, you know, because we have the uh, pyramids there, the stone pyramids there, you know, we have to give, uh, you know, the Aztec and Mayan civilizations their due, but I don't think uh, we do the same with North America. Uh-huh. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Um so the Book of Mormon's uh isn't there some belief in uh uh alien intervention as well in our uh culture?
3: Yes, yes. So um the uh there are several uh Latter-day Saint scriptures. Um let me see. Um so for example, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, which contains a book called the Book of Moses and uh, contains a book called the Book of Abraham. And it says um, in those books that uh, God uh, created not just the earth, but multiple worlds inhabited by, by uh, multiple, multiple peoples. Uh, Um hmm. So it's interesting because in a lot of Western religion, especially Christianity, when you mention UFOs, There's often a pushback that seems for many people that seems to be conflicting their religious views. But that's Mm -hmm. never been the case uh, with the Latter-day Saint uh, Mm -hmm. tradition. Uh, It's it's just assumed that, you know, the script, our scriptures say that God created uh, multiple Uh uh, planets. In the book of Abraham, it even mentions that God lives on a particular planet called Kolob. um, Really? Wow. (laughs) And scientists. Have uh, who uh, come from who are Mormon or uh, from the Latter Day Saint Church? They try to you know pinpoint the coordinates of that. Um, so um, yes, there is a lot of extraterrestrial uh, references um, in in our scriptures. Yeah,
1: that's fascinating. So um, well, I have I have another question. <laughs> uh, if I mean South America to me seems to be really rich with the ancient culture, you know, when you mentioned the Aztecs and uh, the Incas. Yes. But how, I mean, were there giants among them?
3: Um, Well, the Yuga traditions, um, and it's my contention that the Mayans and the Aztecs, even though they date to much later, they're kind of a remnant of these giants from North America. So I would argue migration from North America into South America, which is kind of a mainstream Extreme academic view as well. Mm-hmm. So they say you know, came people came from the Bering Strait into North America and then into uh, into South America. But you do have traditions amongst uh, the Mayans and the Aztecs for gigantic persons um, in uh, their lineage. So the royal lines when they talk about um, when they talk about uh, the royal line, you have you know several giants that pop up. The problem with the Aztecs and Mayans is that outside of their physical remains, so much of their culture was destroyed by the Spanish so much of their written material was destroyed by the Spanish so we don't really know as much about them um, as as we could know uh, which is Mm -hmm. unfortunate yeah that is
2: I want to go back to the Smithsonian Uh, I read that the the Smithsonian had this evidence uh, and initially seemed to accept it uh, for years and then at some point the, uh, there was a change and they, they just dropped that whole concept that there were giants in America.
3: Yes. Yes. So one of the first, um, actually one of the first, uh, excellent surveys, uh, we still, uh, giant researchers, uh, we still use this, uh, was promoted and funded by the Smithsonian, Ethan huh. Squires, Ancient Monuments of the Mississippi Valley. Um, and he mentions giant, the giants in these mounds profusely He uh, mentions these mounds as highly sophisticated evidence of ancient uh, of ancient technology. Um, He mentions them all throughout that book, and that book is still published. Um, You can find on websites uh, today. I think I have a Kindle version of it um, from Amazon. But what happens is that in the mid 1800s, partially because of the rise of Mormonism, there's a guy named John Powell who becomes the head of the Smithsonian in the mid-1800s. He's from Elmira, New York, the same place that Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, uh-huh. is. And he is really against any idea that there is cultural diffusionism, especially from uh, the ancient Near East, uh, Israel-Palestine, to the New World. And so mm. um, so that's one of his motivations. The second motivation is at this time, um, the American government is trying to get the land of the native americans trying to drive them off basically commit genocide in my opinion against Mm -hmm. the Native americans um so those two factors there lead to him diminishing the importance of the mounds saying that they're no giants and consequently he and um, other scholars can argue that native american culture is inferior uh to modern european culture and kind of promotes this idea that you know if, if a culture is inferior um, it can be exterminated. So um, yeah, those motivations going on there.
1: Well, it seems to me there was something weird with the Smithsonian with the crystal skull, too. Yeah, Remember? I, think, I mean, there was... Some, yes.
2: Yeah. yeah they did some research on the crystal skulls,
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Yeah, and a lot of... And, you know, it's funny because the Smithsonian for many years. So there is... One of my favorite mounds is called the Menorah Mound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Ethan Squire uh, described this mound. He took measurements of it. He uh, did sketches of it. It's shaped like a menorah and um, a nine, a nine, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name, sticked menorah, uh, nine candlesticks, Mm -hmm. which would date it precisely to after the Hasmonean period in either the first century BCE um, or the beginning of the first century uh, CE. Um, So, and evidence, clear evidence of cultural Uh, diffusionism. The Smithsonian, Mm -hmm. for many years, they didn't have Squire's map, and it turned out a couple years ago that they admitted that they had the map, and they released it to the public. Um, So, um, I think there's a shift in the Smithsonian. um, Even though you have the influence, you have about a century of influence of kind of downplaying Native American culture, I think there's a shift now that's taking place where um, they're trying to present a more accurate, uh, truer version of uh, ancient American history. Oh, that's good. Yeah, uh,
2: I think the diffusionism rather than the the migration from Siberia is uh, becoming uh, more accepted.
3: Yes, yes. And for many years, it was just a migration model. And I don't want to, you know, knock off Clovis and, you know, coming through the Bering Strait. But again, um, I think there were other migrations that were taking place as well, um, which uh, scholars haven't paid enough attention to
1: yeah um adam as a high school teacher do your students are they interested in this whole thing that you do with giants and your research
3: well mainly um it's, it's funny that you mentioned that trish because um <laughs> well i used I, to I teach high school so <laughs> yes i don't really i don't talk too much about it unless i'm talking about giants and greek mythology so i'm a latin teacher uh-huh. and um if you've ever taken Latin, you can realize that it's a very it can be a very boring subject. So I try to bring in Greek, <laughs> uh, Greek mythology, Greek folklore, and Roman history. So on occasion, I do talk about giants. So, cool. um, but not in a North American context either. Within the history, within the context of uh, Greek mythology, some giants uh-huh. you get there. For example, Ajax. Um, and then occasionally, real life giants that you get in Roman history. For example, there was a German. Uh, a german giant who became emperor of rome um and i talk about him uh when i talk about the different roman emperors he didn't rule that long he was a pretty good emperor but if you were a good emperor back in ancient rome you usually died early uh, <laughs> a, um so uh he was there and uh contemporary sources say that he was of gigantic stature
2: hmm. well uh, adam why do you think most people don't know about this uh ancient american uh civilization of giants there that because they they don't
1: teach it in school
3: yeah Yeah. well i I think that reflects a clear agenda i think the smithsonian in the mid-1800s um in the uh, mid-19th century did their you know they had a very successful um agenda of really kind of saying history doesn't begin until columbus comes Uh uh, to uh to this continent mind you he never actually reached uh the mainland u.s he just reached the Caribbean. But history doesn't really start till there, and then the Pilgrims uh, a little bit later, and that's where you need to start looking at history. You need to you don't have to worry about this stuff uh, that came before. And I mm-hmm. think that that was facilitated by the fact that when the European settlers got here, a lot of these mounds had been abandoned for thousands of years, and uh, were either destro- were either just abandoned or uh, had uh, slowly uh, decayed and were destroyed. And uh, the Native Americans they had some a memory of who these mound builders were, um, but a lot of that, uh, a lot of that memory of who exactly they were and where they came from uh, was gone. Hmm.
2: So you probably are considered by your colleagues to uh, in the the uh, religious uh, field, religious acad- academia <laughs> to be somewhat uh, controversial because you take on two yeah. subjects that are controversial the giants and also that uh, the ancient peoples from the Mideast east traveled mm. to america so yes did, yes
3: yeah how does so, that work fortunately that's, how does that's that work <laughs> fortunately i'm i'm an adjunct so um, i don't have to worry about issues such as uh, tenure um, at least <laughs> in the college setting um, so I, I have a little bit more freedom to to say what's on my mind than, you know, a, a person going for tenure or a tenure professor uh, uh, would have. Um, yeah. But it's inter- It's interesting because I think in biblical studies, uh, migration is still the default position. But there have been some very famous um, biblical scholars such as Cyrus Gordon from Harvard, uh, one of the best biblical scholars who ever existed, who argued, in fact, for uh, diffusionism and that uh, the ancient Israelites were remnants of the ancient Israelites in North America.
2: Yeah, well, uh, most uh, things that are accepted were once considered to be uh, from the, <laughs> on the outskirts. Absolutely. Like, uh, for example, I think it was, wasn't until the mid 19th century when people accepted that rocks fell from the sky <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah
3: yeah yeah that's true they always um they would say that you know it was something else or um that that really didn't happen um right. and it turns out that people pushed enough you know sign you see this in science all the time people pushed enough uh where you know they finally were forced to accept it um you know as fact. yeah
1: it's interesting. Hmm. Have you have you run into people who uh, sort of criticize you for the area you've taken on?
3: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Really? Um, so, Critics. Uh, <laughs> yes. So giant, um, giant researchers, Jim Vieira will tell you this all the time. Uh, we always get criticized. The main question we get are where are the remains? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I try to answer that. And I think my answers are. You know as as feasible as as they can be I think that mm-hmm. um, you know we have three options here um, the bones uh, bones do not do well when they're transported or taken off taken out of uh, bog type places so they deteriorate. The Smithsonian has a lot of this stuff which I think will eventually be released and then uh, with the development of North America industry technology, <laughs> um, a lot of these mounds with these bones in them uh, were destroyed. Um, another pushback that we get as giant researchers, because uh, people like myself, Fritz Zimmerman, uh, Jim Vieira, uh, Richard Dewhurst, we often uh, note the connection between, you know, the Semitic inscriptions that we find with these giants, and how that relates to, you know, the Semitic languages used in, uh, in the Old World. So we have Hebrew and Egyptian and uh, Phoenician inscriptions with these giants. Um, which are old world languages. And so what we get a lot are that you know these these um, text, uh, these epigraphical text uh, that we have, these slates, these tablets of writing on them, they're really just hoaxes. Um, and I always push back on that and say first off, a 19th century farmer wouldn't be able uh, for the most part to uh, to create a, uh, a valid uh, right. Pele- Hebrew, Um, inscription. Uh, Not that they couldn't, not that there's uh, anything wrong with farmers. I love farmers. Um, (laughs) I love the heartland, uh, but um, they wouldn't have the time for it. And a lot of the knowledge that we have about Semitic language came after the phenomenon of people finding these giant mounds and these giant Mm -hmm. tablets. So for example, uh, Brown Driver's Briggs, which is the main Hebrew lexicon, I had to learn that in uh, graduate school. Um, I had to read that, use that in graduate school. That doesn't come around till around 1899 or 1901, which is be- which is after several decades after this phenomenon. So people wouldn't huh. have known the language well enough to forge this stuff. Um, yep. I was recently um, at a uh, at a conference for um, the uh, Davenport tablets and uh, the Michigan, uh, the Michigan relics, which are two things they are controversial uh, relics that people have found. Um, and uh, we were hosted by the Putnam Museum, uh, which is a museum in Davenport, um, Iowa. And um, one of the things, so I got to look at these, I got to touch these tablets, I got to actually uh, do some uh, do some studies, do some research on them uh, right up front. I actually have pictures of them um, on my phone. And uh, one of the things we concluded is that, you know, these were too advanced to just be hoaxes. Now, some of them. We do have instances where people catch on to this phenomenon, as with every uh, big craze. We do have things where people, yes, do forge inscriptions. They do forge tablets. um, But that is not the case with even most or the majority of these. So when people say, oh, these are just these tablets are hoax. Don't talk about these. Don't talk about the Great Creek Stone. Don't talk about the Davenport tablets. Mm -hmm. Um, What you have to remember is that, yes, while there are some forgeries, um, a lot of these uh, seem to be. Uh, legitimate, ancient, uh, ancient writings. Right. Yeah. How are these
1: tablets preserved?
3: Yes, so they were found a lot with, um, mm-hmm. they were found, um, a lot with the, uh, graves themselves, the graves of the giants, so they would be buried, um, with, uh, these, uh, giant persons. Mm-hmm. Probably, um, some of them contain biblical, uh, inscriptions or possibly amulets, so for example, uh-huh. uh, the gray creek stone says, uh, either uh ladonai for the lord or to the judeans if it's for the lord um that's probably some type of amulet of some sort that uh that a person wore um so these are buried uh these are buried with the giants um and so uh in some cases uh the material was not well the material that they used uh was not uh, material that would pre- would be uh, would be preserved or last for a long time, Um, but in other cases, with a lot of the Michigan relatives, for example, they're made on copper, they're engraved on copper. Uh They're preserved very, very well. And um, one of the things that we did when I was at this conference was uh, kind of cleansing uh, these copper materials. And when you do that, uh, they come out very crystal clear. So whoever made these, made them to last a very long time. Wait, you've
1: just faded out right there. When you do that one?
3: Oh, when you clear. Um, so clearing off um, when we cleaned off the materials, um, there's special. There's baking powder and stuff you have to put on the copper. Oh, okay. when you do that, um, it looks very very clear. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the problem with the hoaxes, and there are hoaxes, is that, uh, as you say, uh, is that uh, people. If there's one hoax, they uh, people tend to think that they're all hoaxes, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Uh, which slows the. Looks like crop circles. Yeah, like crop it's circles. The same is type. The same, right, in, in yeah. England. Uh, science is we, always. Yeah. That's I what happened. I just want to say, is, Go ahead.
3: I'm sorry. Uh, that's what happened with the Davenport tablets. Um, uh-huh. So um, there was a guy who was forging tablets. There were mounds mm-hmm. on his property. And so uh, people uh, assumed because he forged the tablets and all of the Davenport tablets Damn. were. Right.
1: So. Yeah. What was his purpose in, in forging this? I don't understand Sitting around with, I mean, it's just weird.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, he wanted to make, um, he, in his case, he wanted to make some money. He was going to sell them to a museum. Oh, uh, oh right. uh, okay. For a ton of money, I think $50,000 at the time, which would make him rich
0: uh, mm-hmm. back in that.
3: Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was, that was his agenda. But there were other tablets found on his property and the different mounts that were found on his property that were genuine. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: So science is always uh, evolving uh, as new hope. E- evidence comes forward. But uh, one of the branches of science that's slow, the slowest to evolve, is archaeology. Uh, the it seems like the the old uh, w- what has been established uh, is very hard to move out of that. Uh, that realm to uh, yes. To, yes. Two new ideas. Yes.
3: You can see why Indiana Jones didn't do that much research. He just did. Uh, <laughs> he just traveled and, and did adventuring. Um, right. You know, that's, that's a really good point, Rob, because um, I get this. I have several friends who are within the field of mainstream archaeology and what they have said is that it's become less about promoting even your own idea You just repeat a school of thought from somebody else, usually from the 19th or early 20th century. Ah. So it's just, you know, such and such. How do we view uh, such and such as research? Um, Albright's research, for example, um, in a different light, but you're not really bringing anything new to the table. So it's just basically I think a a great uh, kind of a parallel is. Uh, Kind of uh, in the New Testament where you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, and Mm -hmm. they're all basically arguing about uh, the Pentateuch or the law of Moses, but not really bringing their own perspectives or their own insights Mm. uh, to the table. So um, I think mainstream archaeology has kind of been divided into these schools of thought uh, without there ever being um, really uh, any way to to work outside that or, or go outside of that. Um, speaking of kind of, I think, you know, technological innovations within archaeology, I think that LIDAR and ground penetrating radar has been very helpful Yes. Kind of showing, um, providing a new and different perspective. When I was in um, Iowa, we actually did ground penetrating work on a uh, on a temple site uh, right across from the uh, Mississippi River. Um, mm-hmm. and so even though, you know, you go there now, Robin Trish, and it looks just like, you know, my backyard or your backyard, mm-hmm. when you see LIDAR, LIDAR, you can see, um, where, you know, actual, uh, places, man-made, uh, constructions and fortifications might've existed underneath the ground once you get to huh. this
2: How far down does LIDAR go? 50, 10, 15 feet or so?
3: Yeah, about 20, uh, new ones go about 20
2: feet. Wow, that's cool. So you that's gotta dig, so you dig... Maybe it's a lot of digging.
3: Dig some more, and slowly you start to uncover some things. So you still have to do some digging, um, just like Indiana Jones back in the day. But once <laughs> you get to a certain point, um, you can use the LiDAR to figure out what's underneath. Yeah. Ah.
2: So I understand you're a big uh, Indiana Jones fan. Do you think Indy could have found these giants or at least their bones?
3: I think so. Well, you wrote a book on that. So, Dance, of the, Dance,
2: yeah, of Dance the Giants. Dance of the Giants,
3: but it was, they, they weren't uh, North American giants. But, no. <laughs> um Yeah, I think, you know, um, I I definitely think he would have. Indiana Jones always thought outside of the box. So I think, you know, uh, Marcus Brody was more of kind of the traditional archaeologist. Indiana Jones was always proposing new ideas. So I think he would have he would have definitely found this stuff.
2: Yeah, he was the outlier. (laughs) So what are some of the coolest, most interesting things that you have found in your research?
3: Um, I, I think that it was a couple of things. Um, dealing with uh, the Michigan uh, the Michigan tablets was fascinating, seeing them um, up close because people will just say these are um, just pictures that someone drew, but when you look at the language, and I got to work with you know people within a variety of fields, so it wasn't just independent researchers like myself, mm-hmm. um, but people working with uh, lidar, um, epigraphers, people who knew Egyptian um so uh people knew chinese uh basically we kind of combined you know our talents and um, one of the things that was most fascinating is that learning seeing that a lot of these tablets and inscriptions that people think um are hoaxes um actually have a language that can be that can kind of be deciphered so Uh that was that was something that was that was very fascinating to me
1: well with this lidar can you can you actually read a tablet
3: um well the lidar doesn't it just tells you where the location of something oh, okay is. yeah um it's not like an x-ray we yeah we um we had um various epigraphers come in so it was a bunch of people from a variety of different fields come and look at these and like i said once we cleaned off uh the tablets um you can kind of see there have been images throughout history um but we've been able to do kind of digital scans of these tablets in fact we have a whole website where uh these uh where you can look at these uh, scans of these uh, tablets, um, Uh and you can see them crystal clearly, even more clearly than you could uh, if you had the tablet in front of you. And uh, you see things that you don't notice from the sketches that people made in Mm -hmm. past centuries. So um, with the Michigan tablets, um, there was a guy, uh, Dr. Campbell, uh, from uh, Presbyterian Seminary, Seminary in Toronto, who had made some sketches, but then we have the tablets themselves, and then with the digital scans of the tablets, Ah, uh, you see, you see some very interesting details.
1: So, what's your your next project that you're looking forward to?
3: Yes, well, um, which mound?
1: <laughs> Where? <laughs>
3: <laughs> a couple of things, all of them having to do uh, with with giants. So, um, I am in the process of uh, giving, um, turning the lecture that I gave at this recent conference on the Michigan relics. I'm in the process of turning that into a book. Oh, cool. Um, so, I'm working on that. Um, I'm also writing another book uh, called The Egypto-Israelites, which is kind of a sequel to uh, my, uh, my past book, From Egypt to Ohio, uh, where I look at some uh, examples of people within Israelite society who are mentioned in the Old Testament who were of tall stature. So in From Egypt oh. to Ohio, I look more gen- generally at how uh, giants might have intermingled with ancient Israel. In, in this new book, I hope to, I'm giving uh, specific examples of people, some people who are very well known. In the Old Testament,
2: in in your book, at the in your last chapter, you go into even speculating on the specific tribe of uh, Semitic peoples that came to uh, America and that uh, that were were, apparently were giants, uh, and they were uh, from Egypt,
3: isn't
2: it true? Yes, yes. So
3: um, one of the things uh, going back to Tricia's question about cool things that I found. Um, one of the things that's really interesting is that when you look at this at the um, format of a Hopewell temple, there it is very similar to not the but the Ephraimite tabernacle in the Old Testament. Ephraim was a tribe uh, that descended from the patriarch, the biblical patriarch Joseph, and Joseph uh, was the one brother of the twelve uh, sons of sons of Israel, who goes into Egypt and becomes second in Egypt only to the pharaohs. So he kind of becomes like the, the vice president of Kamala Harris uh, to, <laughs> to the pharaohs. Um, so there's an <laughs> Egyptian connection there, and the Hopewell temples uh, mirror uh, that, uh, that uh, format of that tabernacle um, directly. So you have um, a sleeping room, just like you get in the Old Testament. So there's a story um, about a young prophet named Samuel who's a little kid and he's in the sleeping room and in the next room there is kind of the eternal fire that presents the presence of the God you have the exact same thing in the construction um, in the in the format in the diagram of these Hopewell temples
1: have you have you found uh, Adam any evidence that a pandemic wiped out some tribe of, of giants
3: yes yes. Um, Excuse me. I think that there was a phenomenon. I don't think that it was disease or sickness per se. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been my contention that the giants caused a civil war amongst themselves, uh, whereby they destroyed each other. So I mentioned Uh earlier the propensity of the giants uh, towards violence. We see that in the Old Testament, and I think they carried that propensity over into uh, the New World. So I think that they Mm -hmm. killed uh, themselves off. And it's interesting, uh, going back to Mormon. Uh, that is at the end of the book how uh, the two main tribes mentioned in that book the the nephites and the lamanites are destroyed
2: hmm. yeah huh. interesting it's a, yeah it's fascinating so uh just one other question i have here isn't it uh or more of a statement than a question i guess uh, isn't it interesting that uh There is both a National Football League team uh, (laughs) called the New York Giants and a Major League Baseball team, the San (laughs) Francisco Giants. Uh, Yes. Why why do we have teams named
3: Giants? Well, you know, I think think the New York one, I think uh, we all know where exactly that comes from, a race memory of Giants in Upper State New York. Uh Uh, Uh Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln mention those Giants, as does uh, Joseph Smith uh, in the Mm. mound around him up in Palmyra. So – um I think that definitely comes from that. Um this past uh this past January, um I was able to COVID restrictions were a little bit more lax. Um I was able to travel up to Palmyra, New York. I usually do it every year around my birthday. Um and I was able to visit two mounds. There's a cemetery um that is uh that uh, was once a um ancient uh Indian mound. And uh there's another place, um This this is like, in Elmira. This is in the, yes, so in upper state New York, Uh Rochester, New York, so uh, there's an Indian, it's called Indian Mound Cemetery, it's actually an ancient mound, and then there's another, um, also a cemetery, um, that is way high up, a huge hill that you have to climb up on, um, which is not fun to do in the middle of January where there's ice, (laughs) Um, but I was able to take some great pictures, and it says, uh, there's a plaque there that says, this was erected by the mound builders, so I think everybody knew, even though Later on, the Smithsonian will deny. Everybody knew that New York, uh, Upper State New York, going westward was the region where uh, this giant civilization mm. once existed. Yeah. and way, I'm a very big New York Giants fan. In very in
2: cool. fact, uh, that uh, the San Francisco Giants was originally in New York, and they were called the New York Giants uh, as a baseball team, and. Mm-hmm. They were named in 1885, which is, you know, right in the heart of the, yep. the exploration of these, uh, the, the giants, uh, hmm. these graves. It's exactly, exactly. And everybody knew
3: about this stuff, you know. It wasn't just, you know, independent people coming forth, you know, your average uh, farmer mm-hmm. or worker uh, coming forth and saying, you know, I found these things. Um, even uh, Thomas Jefferson, for example, actually did an excavation of a mound uh, during the beginning of uh, – beginning of the united states so um wow. yeah. everybody knew these
2: so the, wow. the the uh new york giant baseball team moved to san francisco became the san francisco giants and then in uh 1925 the new york giants football team started and, and they took the name Gi- uh, new york giants because the san francisco uh <laughs> giants had been so popular in in new york so they, they adapted that team uh, with funny. more giants and no doubt the Giants are playing today. It's the first uh, uh, first game of the NFL yeah, today. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'm definitely I'm, catching. It. So the yeah. Giants actually um, their gym is right near where my sister in law lives. So I drive past yeah. their gym um, all huh. the time. There's a big okay. sign, Robin Trish, that says uh, home of the workout, basically uh, where the New York Giants work out. So yeah, mm. cool. uh, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm at like, a I'm, stadium I'm, as well.
2: Yeah, I'm not a Giants fan, though. I'm more of a Viking fan where I grew up in
3: Minneapolis.
1: Well, they may Um, have been Giants, too. (laughs) They were were pretty
3: mean. I'll I'll either root for, uh, because I grew up, I was born in Baltimore, so I'll either root for the Ravens or or the Giants. Um, John,
0: John, you have anything to add to this? Well, uh, the only thing, uh, well, I think think what I would like to add is, uh, Adam, I hope your students... Realize how lucky they are, really, to have a 21st century Indiana Jones as their teacher. So. <laughs> you
3: even wear let, it? Let, let them know.
1: You let them know, Adam.
3: Yes, yes. Well, they, they know my Indiana hat, Jones you? fandom. Um, I have uh, I have an Indiana Jones poster on the wall next to a gladiator <laughs> poster, uh, Russell Crowe's gladiator. So they—they they all know about it.
2: All right,
1: That's funny. And
3: well, tell th-
1: people where they can find your website and your books and.
3: Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So um, my three books, uh, both kind of my Old Testament textbooks that uh, Rob mentioned and From Egypt to Ohio are on Amazon.com. I have an author page there. Okay. Um, I also am a monthly contributor to Ancient American Magazine, uh, which can also be ordered online. Um, they also – they usually have copies of that in Barnes & Noble. Um, I haven't seen them in the past couple of months. I think it's because of the pandemic, but the yeah. magazine is still being published. Um, so you're able, uh, you're able to pick that up. You can you can order it online. Um, I have a couple of websites. Um, I have an Instagram page called Adam, the giant guy. Yeah, I saw that. I'm I'm always follow you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I follow you guys as well. And, um, I have my Facebook page, which is more personal, but I, I accept people, um, who, uh, have friend requests. Um, so, uh, I'll post stuff there about my family and about giants and then I have another web page called Lingua Classica, which is my tutoring page. So my third job outside of teaching high <laughs> school Latin um, and college Old Testament is that of a Latin tutor. But I'm always putting stuff there about ancient civilizations in general, not just North oh, America, cool. but uh, uh, ancient Rome and ancient Greece as well. Oh. Oh, so, gosh, thank you very much, Adam. Yes, I,
1: keep us posted on any, you know, your new work, your new works, you do it, your new books. And
3: when your new book comes out, we'll have you back on. Absolutely, absolutely. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a
1: good
0: day. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cat. Send email to podcast at mysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening. And stay mystical.